0: 15 degrees and 75% relative humidity.
1: I'm Richard Harris and this has been Money Talk. And now the half-hour news with Barry O'Rourke. The operator of several COVID PCR testing centres says he expects the long queues at the sites to worsen today and tomorrow. Ricky Chu was commenting after some lawmakers urged authorities to scrap the PCR test requirement for cross-border travellers, saying it'll be difficult for some returning Hong Kongers to find a testing centre open on the mainland during Lunar New Year. Mr Chu told RTHK that people with a booking had been waiting half an hour for their test while walk-ins took up to two hours. He explained why it was difficult to boost capacity.
2: We have already tried to increase the manpower, but I think the bottleneck now that I realise is the limitations of the venue as well as the computers that the government available for us. And that limits how much stations and how much booth that we can increase in each site.
1: The managing director of Worldwide Cruise Terminals says he doesn't expect the sector to fully recover until 2026, as cruise lines usually book tours three years in advance. Jeff Bent was commenting after Hong Kong welcomed back overseas cruise tourists on Wednesday for the first time in 3 years, but he said the Kai Tak cruise terminal could expect around 10 international liners to visit this year compared to 19 before the pandemic broke out. He urged the government to remove the remaining COVID restrictions on travellers.
2: For visiting people aged 12 and up need to be fully vaccinated and they need to do an RAT test before they arrive and then of course on shore they need to mask and none of these are necessary in, in most places around the world now so it, it does make uh, Hong Kong a bit of an outlier.
1: Eight people have been confirmed dead after an avalanche on Tuesday evening in the city of Ningchi in Tibet. The avalanche occurred at an exit of a tunnel trapping people and vehicles. The head of the Ukrainian police force has been appointed acting interior minister following the death of his predecessor in a helicopter crash in foggy weather. Ihor Klimenko will retain his role as police chief. The crash that killed Deniz Monastyrsky and 13 others happened in a suburb of Kiev. An investigation is underway. In a video address to delegates at the World Economic Forum in Davos, President Zelensky said those who died in the crash were victims of war. Because of the war experience that my society has now, this is not an accident, because it has been due to war, and the war has many dimensions, not just the battlefield. There are no accidents at wartime, these are all the results of war, absolutely. The US Justice Department says it's led an international effort to disrupt the cryptocurrency exchange Bislato, which it accuses of operating as a high-tech hub for criminals. The Russian founder of Bislato, Anatoly Legkodimov, has been arrested in Miami. The US Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco said anyone who'd benefited from the hub was now a target.
3: To all of those exploiting the cryptocurrency ecosystem to enable crypto crime, we have a clear message. We will not only target hackers, fraudsters and criminals that mask their profits in cryptocurrency, we are also unleashing the full force of the Department of Justice on the illicit actors and entities that support cyber criminals like Legadimov like and Bitslada.
1: Israel's Supreme Court has ruled that a key coalition partner of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu cannot serve as a minister because of a recent criminal conviction. Responding to a legal challenge, the judges ruled that the appointment of Ari Ederi was unreasonable in the extreme because of his conviction for tax offences. He's the leader of the ultra-Orthodox Shas party, which is a big block in Mr Netanyahu's coalition. Tali Gottlieb of Mr Netanyahu's Likud party denounced the ruling. For me, this is a day of mourning when a Supreme Court intervenes. The court today crossed all lines when it interfered with a law passed by a majority of 63 people. I'm sorry, I said on every platform that I didn't think the court would intervene. And now it turns out that the Supreme Court does think it's a hidden ruler. But the Supreme Court is not a hidden ruler and it should remember its place. And finally, researchers have determined that Greenland's ice cap was hotter in the first decade of this century than at any time over the past 1,000 years. Studying ice core samples taken from the ice sheets covering much of the huge island, they also found that the opening decade was 1.5 degrees Celsius warmer in north and central Greenland than it was in the last century. The scientists say the resulting melting of the ice sheet is now contributing significantly to global sea levels. And there will be more news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm
4: Danny Gittings and back this morning is Andrew Worker's guest presenter. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning,
5: Danny. Glad to be here for a double the first of a <laughs> double doubleheader with you and me, baby. Um, on today's Back Chat, though, we're going to be looking at Hong Kong's impending return to normality after Chief Executive John Lee said he hopes all COVID restrictions, including the mask mandate, will be lifted this year, possibly even within the next two months. He was speaking in an interview with the Commercial Daily newspaper, and John Lee said he hopes, quote, all problems will be resolved in the first
4: quarter, end quote. So, as we return to normal with a relatively stable COVID situation, the number's been falling over the past few days. Questions have been raised about what to do with the idle quarantine facilities that were built in a rush during the past waves. Only two out of seven, Kitek and Penny's Bay, still being used. So are we ready to ditch our masks? Do you think those infected with COVID should no longer be required to isolate? And what will happen to all those white elephant COVID facilities? And after 9.15, we'll be looking at a cow farm operated by City University
5: of Hong Kong. Is it a place to nurture future veterinarians or a case of animal cruelty?
4: So you can let us know what you think on either topic. You can go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call. The number there, 233-888. Uh, joining us for the uh, first segment of discussion this morning, we have Jean uh, Wu. Jean Wu is Emeritus Professor of Medicine at the Faculty of Medicine at Chinese University of Hong Kong and also the Director of CUHK's Jockey Club Institute of Aging. And we have Gavin Perry, who's Managing Director at Perry International Trading. And on the subject of uh, COVID restrictions, just, just uh, the update that uh, numerous reports this morning suggesting that after Lunar New Year, uh, the government will list, lift the isolation requirement for COVID patients. Uh, now know this is unconfirmed, but if that is, if that is announced, that would mean if you're suffering from COVID, you're no longer required to isolate and presumably could go to work or school. I'm um, also suggesting the mask requirement will be lifted, but perhaps uh, further down the line, maybe in March or so. Uh,
5: Dr. Will, let's, uh, let's kick off. Um, is it, is the time now? Should we be getting rid of the last of these requirements, including the masks and isolation requirements? Or is it, is it too early or do you think we're, we're good to go?
0: to ditch everything, just like the chief executive said, because uh, for various reasons, I mean, I think everybody is is really very tired of all all these restrictions. And and after all, if you look at them, it it doesn't work like if you do this, you're not going to have the infection. Uh, If you you look back at the past three years, what what have they done? And if we uh, kept relaxing them, we have not been faced with anything. Um, and after all, the, the, this virus now is, is mutated to be so um, uh, so transmissible, uh, you could question, you know, it's a bit like the common cold and all the other viruses we, we yeah. have to cope with uh, every, every, all, all the time, particularly in winter. And um, so, so I, I think that it, 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 we can leave it to the public to to estimate their their own risk, rather than have a government mandate telling you what to do. Um, so, so I think it's definitely in the right direction. It, it, it does not mean that when the government says you don't have to wear masks mask anymore, that everybody is going to stop wearing masks. There will be people who continue to wear it. So I think it's much better that way. And uh, and as for going to work, I mean, if there are a lot of people who um, are positive but have no symptoms, right? Mm. And so, if you don't have any symptoms, you're not going to test. So, so testing and reporting on daily numbers actually is not very meaningful unless you do what China did uh, last year, where they test everybody, and even then, they provide evidence that there are a lot of asymptomatic people walking around. So, so the point is, um, if you if you're ill with the virus. If you're ill, don't go to work. I think we can follow these usual uh, infection common sense and not not treat it like SARS in 2003.
4: But you might well not be. Um, you, you might not be ill. I mean, many people catch COVID. In my own case is very mild. You, you feel fine. You could go to work, but you'll infect other people, especially if there's no uh, mask mandate.
0: Yeah. So so let's say you've got a runny nose. Um, who is going to tell you to do the test? And if you don't do the test, you won't know whether it's COVID or just a common cold. Mm-hmm. Right, so, so. Um So in reality, what do people actually do? I suspect this happens to a lot of people because they catch cold. You cannot distinguish the symptoms. So is everybody going to suddenly go and test? And if you don't test, how do you know whether it's COVID or not? So, I mean, it's theoretical. That you say well if you're positive you can't go to work now some people might test positive right i think people are, are so um uh, uh, ingrained with all, all these rules that if they test positive they probably will, will talk to the workplace and say, i'm not coming to work and, and so it, it's a kind of mutual um uh, agreement I, I know that some people start doing that already, Mm -hmm. Um, but you see, if if it's so prevalent, you you know, everybody is off work, so your family get infected, so you you might be off work for (laughs)
5: for a month. <laughs> I mean, you get, you get you get a cold. You get a cold. You stay home. But if you know somebody in your family gets COVID, the whole family stays home. You kind of take multiple people out of the workforce and, yeah, yeah, and out yeah. of schools.
0: Exactly because that's what you naturally do, right? It, it doesn't make sense that you go to work and every day you come back to your cramped environment where a family member is. is I mean, you know, you, you can't isolate like that. And then people are allowed to go to supermarkets because how else would they get provisions? And so if they're allowed to go out to, to supermarket, what, what's the point in saying that they, they should be isolated? Mm. Now, there, there are special pro, uh, areas like hospital workers what are you going to do with them and, and so on but I think that that separate consideration but I think in general it, it kind of makes sense.
4: Do you think there are any circumstances in which masks should remain mandatory? I mean in Singapore when they lifted mask restrictions it, it was phased I mean they lifted them in outdoor areas first they insisted on them in public transport and indoor shopping mm-hmm. centers for a while although I think they, they've now lifted them all. So I think, should I we, think should, public should, transport still I think. Maybe yeah, yeah. Uh, should, should we go from every, which is basically more or less everywhere. I mean, there's the exception for Coventry Parks, isn't there? But it's more or less everywhere at the moment. Should we go straight from everywhere to nowhere?
0: Um, I I think that... I I, I don't think you should uh, say from everywhere to nowhere, because uh, in in reality there will always be somewhere where masks are advisable. So uh, you used to have to qualify with advisable as opposed to mandatory. I don't think we uh, our behaviour should be dictated by any government mandates, right? So I think it's it's good to to tell people the risks. So, for example, if you're in the rush hour, crowded public transport, you're advised to keep keep your face covering on, Uh, and and people have no problem with that because they do that anyway for the past three years. Um, But if you're um, Jogging or just walking in a place where they're, they're, you know, in the open air, what is the logic for keeping your mask on? So, so I think that right now, if you look at all the mandates, it, it not all of them make sense. And that's why people get a bit irritated by the whole thing. Um, so let, let people judge because people um, definitely, they, they, they on the whole, are very anxious and scared still by this virus. So they will, I mean, there's still people who don't go out. Mm-hmm. So I think that even if you lift mandates, you should go from one to then advice, but not the face, face re- removal,
5: yeah.
0: removal in phases doesn't make sense. It's not
5: logical. Um, so maybe different strokes for different strokes. Gab- Gavin Perry. Uh, peri-international trading. Gavin, um, you know, when I came to work in Hong Kong in the late 1990s, you know, if you had a cold, you had a flu, you sucked it up and you went into work as, you know, rah. Um, But then thinking changed and it was like, no, the boss does not want you to come to work, get all the other staff sick, everybody, you know, wiped out, performing at half productivity. What, what is your take on COVID now? Where where should the restrictions be going? Different policies for different well, workplaces? What do you think? Well, well
2: uh, obviously, we're market participants, so... From a, I'm certainly not a medical professional but from a socio-economic aspect um, following on to your comments then I recall when I arrived in Hong Kong in 2000 um, the unique consideration aspect of, of the society here in Hong Kong where people were wearing masks if they had a cold or flu and that was something that struck me when I first came here um, so I, 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 think, I, I think in relation to, to productivity um, I mean this Society already has a, a fairly ingrained considerate aspect of if you have a cold or flu, you wear a mask, and that was around well before SARS. Um, and even with SARS, we didn't have any kind of uh, mask mandate. So that's the only kind of comment I think I can make on that is that it's a, it's a very considerate society already. That's... Um, but if you aren't feeling well, you cover up and and don't spread
4: it. This society also has a very strong work ethic, so once it's no longer uh, compulsory to isolate if you've got COVID, you can well imagine people who 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 think they need to finish their work and under pressure coming back into the office.
2: Yes, true, Um, and that's something that's quite important for the economy here because we are very much a service-based economy, so productivity uh, is key and and yes, technology is allowing work from home and, and so forth, but um, high efficiency for productivity and services is, just, is still very much the networking aspect of getting out there, being in the office, um, networking, and, and, and obviously um, ability, you know just having a read of the market and your marketplace and your, your customers. I think it's very, very important. Um,
5: but at what level should that decision be made? And I'll give you an example. A friend of mine uh, working at a university in Japan, Japan does not require masks. Everybody chooses to wear them, but his university has a policy that the professors have to be wearing masks. So, so there's not a law, but there is a university policy. At what level should we be making the decision in Hong Kong? The level of law, the level of individual companies well, and uh, institutions and individuals?
2: <laughs> Again, I'm a market participant, but I, I just think that um, you know, Hong Kong is a very individual place. Um, we all appreciate our freedoms and our rights, and it, they've been upheld. and the, and as I said, I think given the consideration that's already ingrained in, in, in the Hong Kong society and its people, um, I, I, you know, I think people know what the right thing is to do um, yeah, on that front, really. But, but again, as you said, that overlays into the very strong work ethic. I mean, basically, you know, Saturdays a half workday to, to most people, so um, yeah, I, I think that that basically would push the fact that people are already very considerate here when it comes to, to, to medical situations, and uh, they have a strong work ethic. Work ethic, uh, I think that's the key um, to to be pushing for productivity uh, for for Hong Kong as we reopen.
4: Now as we also mentioned at the start, um, of course there are a large number of facilities built uh, for isolating patients uh, during COVID and particularly uh, during the the wave wave, uh, last spring. uh, Numerous facilities were built across Hong Kong, uh, most of which are now now lying empty. Uh, Gavin Perry, do you have any ideas about how those might be productively used? What should we do with Penny's Bay going forward? Give it to Give it to, Dis- give it to D- Disneyland. We'd love to. Have. Well, sure. I don't know actually. It's not, not going to so have that's good a vibes. A bit but anyway, a little bit,
2: I think. But yeah, um, uh, you know, apart from services, um, the economy here—the Greece on the on the cogs, so to speak—is very much the real estate market. So I'm sure that there are um, there are concepts for utilisation. I mean, there was only a few years prior to COVID that uh, we had a hotel shortage, and there was uh, talks sort of using some of the, the cruise ships uh, to knock off. Um, Kinetic of Kennedy Town to uh, for overflow of uh, medium cost ha- um, uh, hotels. So, you know, uh, maybe quarantine like Green Island, <laughs> I'm not quite sure, but I'm sure there'll be some uh, entrepreneurial uh, developers out there that will, will, will see the opportunity. And, and uh, as we go back to more normality of the economy, um, tourism with the mainland being joined at the hit now uh, is probably going to increase quite dramatically, um, and you might find a, a, a need for more medium-cost um, hotels again, like, which, uh, which youth- in certain respects would maybe stop some of the redevelopment of residential areas uh, and, and actually help the supply
5: of housing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, you're thinking maybe like youth hostels for some of these things, uh, cheap stuff. But but, Dr., Dr. Wu, should we keep some of these quarantine facilities in reserve for potential future pandemics, or was this a once-in-a-century Type occurrence that we don't have to worry about, you know, Spanish flu, COVID, it'll be another hundred years. I mean, should we keep some of the quarantine facilities in reserve? What do you think?
0: Well, um, I, I don't think that we should keep them with a view to encase their future pandemics, etc. But it, it will be a terrible waste um, if uh, we knock them down. So I absolutely go with the, with the view that we should be imaginative and use these facilities for um for other things i mean there are lots of uh scenarios where we need temporary accommodation for var- various things um uh, like for for example there's a, a hospital that's been built near the border okay we, uh, which
4: this is uh, the not, uh, lock lock marchalook
0: yeah, right? yeah yeah that's right for, so for example this hospital facility um you're always uh hearing uh, uh, problems about uh, not not enough beds, and you know, pe- people waiting, and people having to go back to be discharged before they're ready. When they, with uh, the elderly people, they need more time for rehab. So maybe they could use that as a kind of. A temporary place to to deal with issues like I mean every winter there's what they call winter surge. a lot of people get sick and then there's a crisis every winter for the past 10 years or so um, uh, to, to the detriment of people who could stay a bit longer so this is uh, in terms of hospital but accommodation yes I mean what about people who are being rehoused so if you have a, a block, very old building that's being refurbished or knocked down and people have nowhere to go uh, they normally have, have to rent maybe they could go there temporarily you know, like for, for a few months six months or so until uh, things are ready uh, and then cheap rent I mean there are a lot of students who who uh, single person who who waiting for housing for example uh, so well anyway lots of you shouldn't waste it. having built it, uh, I think we should keep it, but not necessary for pandemics,
4: future pandemics. Okay, we're discussing the impending lifting of the uh, remaining uh, COVID restrictions by the government. John Lee says he hopes to have all restrictions lifted in the uh, first quarter of this year. Uh, it seems most likely that the isolation requirement, uh, requiring you to, to, to stay, stay home or go to isolation facility if you have COVID for five days, will go first, uh, possibly uh, followed by the uh, mask mandate, although... That, probably not until March. If you have any thoughts, uh, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. do we know from past discussions, don't we, that Backchat listeners have strong feelings on the issue, of, like most people in Hong Kong, on the issue of masks. Oh, yes, um, they do. <laughs> let's bring in a, a couple of comments from listeners who have been in touch with Backchat before about the issue of masks. Uh, Mark, uh, so let's uh, start with uh, Alan. Um, Alan, on, on one side, says, It seems Hong Kong is swinging from one extreme to the other. Now it's the same as a common cold, don't wear a mask, go to work, don't get tested, don't mention any deaths, 50 or more every day, not important. And while all the celebration of tearing up restrictions, no mention at all of vaccination and boosters to defend against new variants. That's what will stop a wave of death, not a positive attitude. Was Ron DeSantis, the, the
6: Florida, Florida, Florida governor, governor
4: yeah. was a probable presidential candidate, was Ron, yes. Ron DeSantis hired as consultant, Alan asks. Um, and replying on uh, Facebook, uh, Marcus says, uh, it just shows that masks are, p- are pointless, law now just waiting to be abandoned because of no science to back it up. It makes no difference if you wear one or not, and it should never have been legislated, idiot. I mean, these, these these seem to be like two extremes. I mean, is it, it?
5: But doesn't the truth lie somewhere in the middle? Like, yeah, maybe the mass did do some good. Maybe well, let's let's let, us let,
4: let's ask our guest, uh, yeah. Gavin Perry. What's your view between these uh, on these two extremes?
2: Um, well, look uh, again. I think, as I as I said earlier, the, the, the culture here is a very strong work, work, work ethic, um, and also very very community minded. Um, and underlying that is a is a, is a strong consideration when you're not feeling well not to spread it to someone else and that was around well before SARS um, as I mentioned before I think those traits um, in the underlying society here of people is is probably good enough in relation to uh, uh, individual freedoms um, for, for, for people to make conscious decisions and efforts
4: Uh, Jean Wu, I'm wondering about any cons- special considerations. You're director of the uh, CHK Jockey Club f- Institute for Ageing. Any special considerations involving uh, the el- elderly population in Hong Kong one- yeah, once yeah, we lift uh, mask requirements? Yeah, I, I think that we're talking about lifting legislation, right?
0: I, I never thought that the legislation is, is, uh, is the answer to everything, to stopping the pandemic. Because if you look at old people, how many people can wear it properly? you wear mask, if, uh, a lot of people in in particularly old age homes they have dementia you know they, they you stick a mask on and they pull it off
4: but i, I think mean, so it's <laughs> more about protecting the old, old people that uh, people around elderly people would be wearing masks uh, as old people tend to suffer more severe complications if they catch covid
0: yeah um, so so then you have the individual right i mean no no uh, elderly home is going to They're responsible for what happens in their home, right? So let them decide what what to do, not have a a legislation that you you must do this, that, or the other. And the same applies to to, to children also, Um, because if you have legislation, it's for everybody. So I think that the individual institutions, you see, see some some could be very big with gardens and so on, and they, they can say, well, you don't have to wear masks in certain areas, but there are some, that are really um, uh, very cramped. Now, as for, for workers, you see, there's this personal interaction. If you wear a mask, a lot of people don't react to you. They can't hear because you have to speak very loudly. And there, there's no facial expression. And, and a lot of people depend on that. So we have to look at the whole situation, not just infection. It's a whole caring process. Look at the risk and benefits. So, So I think legislation, if legislation goes, it doesn't mean that
5: everybody is not going to wear masks. It, it doesn't. Yeah, and I, I, on the on the front of uh, legislation, though, but was was there not also a little bit of uh, variation in terms of enforcement? Because I know a lot of bars and restaurants during the strictest uh, during the strictest restriction, bars and restaurants were really uh, strict about enforcing it because they had been busted for not enforcing, or or you know the restaurant next door had been, in, been busted for not enforcing. But I don't think the police were going into old folks' homes and arresting people with dementia because they weren't wearing their masks properly. I mean, uh, was it, was, yeah. there was a question of enforcement there as well, right?
2: Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, was, yeah. I was just going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think with the, the anti-smoking legislation that came in for bars and restaurants, it was the individual that would be fined $5,000 if they were caught smoking on an establishment.
4: So uh, yes, but of course, bars had to <coughs> bars had to enforce things like the vaccine requirements and so on. And bars were were fined when they yeah. hadn't checked uh, uh, sure. checked their guests as they were going in. I'm sure uh,
2: there's a three strikes so to speak for a liquor license. But I'm pretty sure under the smoking legislation that came in in like, I think it was 2017, I, it was uh, the individual if you were caught. <laughs> it wasn't the, it wasn't the bar that got the the, the, the monetary fine. It was the individual.
4: Jean um, Wu, you wanted to respond on this point.
0: Well. Um, Yes. I mean, if you have legislation, the what is it based on? It's based on if you don't do that, something terrible is going to happen to you, but they, they, they can't say that, you see. So the basis on which you legislate is arguable, and then the implementation is also arguable. There's nobody to implement it. So what's the law hanging around for? Uh, and, and then nobody does risk benefit. You have this legislation. What are the what are the um, disadvantages? You have to balance the two: what benefit you have and what the adverse consequence of your legislation. And nobody has bothered to examine this issue in a scientific way. Mm-hmm. And I think if you if people did that exercise, I mean holistically, the adverse I mean, it, you, you would not legislate like this.
5: And, and uh, I suspect that once the, the legislative uh, requirements are dropped, we are going to then still have individual institutions, like say the hospital. Right. The hospital authority will probably require yeah, people yeah, to wear masks yeah. in hospitals. Yeah, yeah. What what re- what requirements do you think are still justified going forward on an ongoing basis?
0: Well, I think the um, doctors, nurses continue to wear masks. Uh, I'm not sure about. I think maybe they will have patient with respiratory symptoms, coughs. Uh, and 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 so on uh wearing masks and if they have people with covid then they will wear wear masks so i think they 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 will be um fine-tuning it and also the with respect to ventilation of watts, negative pressure um they they used to put everybody in these wards, but now i think uh they they are uh, reviewing that requirement and or what admit patients and so on, and, and this kind of makes sense because a lot of the crisis are a result of all these rules. Um, uh, so, so I think everybody will be re- re- reviewing this, um, and then maybe they will say, "Okay, uh, do an RAT or something uh, at, at intervals." So, so I, think, I think they will make their own rules. Um,
4: Okay. So which is good. Yep. Okay, thank you very much. Um, we have to say goodbye there to Jean uh, Wu. You just heard Jean Wu, Emeritus Professor of uh, Medicine at the uh, Faculty of Medicine at CUHK and also to uh, Gavin Perry from Perry International. But stay wa- with us. We'll continue the discussion after the break. It looks like all remaining um, uh, COVID-related restrictions are going to be removed in the next few months. So what are the implications of that? Do drop us an email at backchat@rthk.hk, or you can go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free. Leave a comment there. Some contrast comments coming in we'll get to a few more of those after the news and uh, later on we're also going to be looking at uh, the uh, cow farm the new cow farm operated by city university of hong kong Uh, the weather forecast it's going to be fine dry during the day as you know it's rather cool this morning but the temperature is going to increase it's going to be 19 degrees later and temperature is going to be rising as we get towards lunar new
1: year currently 15 degrees we're back in three minutes you're listening to the news on rthk Welcome back to Macchan. Back I'm Danny Gittings. So to, with me today is Andrew Work. Um,
4: in the second half of the show, we're continuing our discussion about the impending lifting of the remaining COVID-19 restrictions in Hong Kong. It seems like the isolation requirement uh, for COVID patients uh, to, to isolate either home or quarantine facility could be lifted after Lunar New Year, although that hasn't been confirmed yet, and that the uh, uh, mask mandate should all, is also probably going to be going in the next couple of months. Um, later on in the show, we're going to be looking at a con- controversy over a new um, uh, cow farm operated by City University of Hong Kong. If you have any thoughts on either of these topics, uh, you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or leave a message on our Facebook page backchat on rthk radio free. Uh, before we go to our guest uh, let me bring in a few comments that have been coming in from uh, uh, listeners. Uh, first of all, I bring in a comment from Bowen about uh, yesterday's, um, yesterday's, show, yesterday's show about uh, the liability of doctors for gross negligence. Uh, Bowen says, the competing considerations discussed in Tuesday Tuesday's show on gross negligence, manslaughter in public health care can be confusing. It may be helpful to highlight that a guilty verdict requires, among others, that the circumstances were such that a reasonably prudent person would have foreseen a serious and obvious risk, not merely of injury, but even serious, not you mean merely of injury, even serious injury, but of death. In addition, having regard to that risk, the conduct of the defendant has to be so bad, Meaning it departed from the proper standard of care to such an extent the jury would consider it criminal. As for the pressure under which public healthcare professionals have to work, reference can be made to the UK Williams Report. To allay concerns among healthcare professionals in the UK simple error, that simple errors could result in gross negligence, manslaughter charges, even if they occur amid broader organisation and system failings, the report made recommendations to ensure expert witnesses prosecution authorities to police and coroner services will consider sy- systemic and human factors alongside the errors made by healthcare professionals uh, and a couple a couple of comments on on today's topic um uh mike mike in a uh, facebook post he also sent an email said in early december i, I phoned the hhb uh, hotline the health bureau hotline asking for any scientific reasons they might have that i hadn't seen from masking, and the same question for the government's reason to promote vaccines for the young. Uh, Okay. <laughs> There was, is a real concern about the risk-reward of the bivalent mRNA, the, the newer vaccine. Uh, recent studies show one in 800 case of severe reactions. Social media, along with Facebook, has uh, limited discussion on the topics. And he then goes on uh, to mention a number of uh, studies on this point. Uh, These studies against uh, the narrative of safety effective are becoming more widespread. Uh, Germany, Cleveland, Ohio, just to mention two separate studies. And you can see the um, uh, the full post for Mike on our um, uh, Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, and lastly, uh, one comment from uh, TC. TC says, I never quite understood the rationale for a mask mandate that includes outdoor public areas, especially after knowing the concentration <clears throat> of virus outdoors, the virus outdoors isn't enough for widespread transmission. Thank you, much for those comments. Oh, As maybe. we continue the discussion, uh, we now have on the line Alex Katsanos, the Managing Director for Advisory for Aracon, Greater China. Good morning. Welcome to Backchat. Hi, good to be here.
5: Uh, Alex, what's what's your take on this? Is there an economic benefit that we can look to uh, if we lift the final remaining mandates? Um,
6: Well, I don't think it's going to be direct. It's mostly psychological, right? But mainly my area of, con- of concern my area of um, focus is the isolation facilities because my background and my firm are mostly concerned about construction and the property management mm.
5: and, and what are we going to be doing with those we had a little bit of discussion about that earlier some some uh, some creative ideas about what to do with those in terms of youth hostels uh you know people have talked about using them for the homeless i mean what, what's your take on what should be done with those
6: Well, look, um, this discussion reminds me a lot about what to do with Olympic villages after the Olympics, right? So most Mm -hmm. of them fall into disrepair, although big plans are there in place. Uh, The most successful cases of Olympic villages is when you dismantle them. In Hong Kong, specifically for the isolation facilities, some of them you you wouldn't reuse at all. They're either on private land, Mm -hmm. they're on premium land, like the um, Kai Tak next to the cruise terminal. Or their own strategic plots, like the Lokma Chau Loop, right, which is earmarked for the Hong Kong and Shenzhen Innovation Technology Park. I mean, the thing that's been mentioned on, on policy addresses and stuff. Mm-hmm.
4: But the problem is these facilities were put together very fast, and I do remember when they were actually being used. Uh, maybe less so, Penny's Bay, although even Penny's Bay there have been complaints, but uh, when they were actually being used, there were all kinds of complaints from people in them oh, about the yeah. very, po- which is... Perhaps inevitable when you put these together so fast. to mm. very poor construction standards. I mean, it might almost be that it's better to knock them down and start again.
6: Well, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think they're, they're quite... Um uh, they're a showcase for what modular integrated construction can do. Some of them were put together in 32 days. It's quite amazing. The poor construction standards, I haven't heard it from a lot of people. That's certainly not the opinion of the Development Bureau, I know. And if you go and look at them, you would, they are quite solid. They're, they're good construction for the purpose that, that they serve. But I think they've served the purpose, most of them. I've, I've heard quite a few uses, right? Hospital facilities, overflow facilities, transitional housing, and all those things. But there is a reason not to do each one of them.
5: Yeah, I mean, I mean, with Penny's Bay, they had issues with flooding and plumbing. But I mean, some of the ones that were built later, mm. um, I'm thinking of the one out at Kai I toured it, it looks really nice. Now, I don't think they ever actually put anybody in there. Um, <laughs> but with, with these modular units, were they not built to be disassembled later? Like isn't the point they go up fast, but they can also be disassembled and used somewhere else later?
6: They can, yes. Uh, I I, I don't know how much you know about the modular integrated construction, but it's uh, cornerstone of the plan to increase productivity in Hong Kong construction. We already have proper buildings that you would never know. They're modular integrated construction. In uh, the, the Housing Authority is building one of them, and also the Science pack has already completed one of them. You would absolutely never know. Uh, you can build them in zero time. They just come prefabricated, and they're exactly the same quality as you would expect from a normal building. Now these were special purpose ones that were not fitted out, you know, as you would with a with a with a prime building. But they're still 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 the same principle applied.
5: And do you have specific ideas for what some of the specific facilities can be used? I mean, like, do you think the Kai Tak one should be used for the homeless or student housing? Or maybe, you know, Penny's Bay should be packed up and moved somewhere else. I mean, do you have ideas for
6: specific plots of what could be done? Some. um, So the Kai Tak sits next to the cruise terminal. I don't think it's the best place for this facility to be there. However, some of this might remain or just move adjacently, right? So you have, um, um, I don't know if you know this, but in the, there's a sports district being built nearby. Now, that sports district initially in the plan by the Home Affairs Bureau included the idea of an athlete's hotel that was scrapped later because the consortiums uh, that participated did not find it as a great idea. That could be revived. Part of it could be used for, a, for an athlete's hotel. Not all of it, not 10,000 beds. I mean, think about the biggest ho- hotels in Hong Kong. What are they? Five 500 beds, 600 beds? Mm. So some of this could be used for that, right? But the entire facility, probably not. Um, the idea of hospital use, maybe not, because we are in the middle of a large hospital building program anyway that will take care of future events. And transitional housing. I mean, I have an idea on transitional housing. The, the, uh, I've heard quite a few opinions that this that these facilities should be used for that but think of it this way right the problem was always land it was never the cost of a few mod- modular units now imagine covid has never happened if somebody suggested let's build modular units on premium land and strategic plots what would we have thought Crazy so, bill. Exactly. Crazy talk. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's why I don't think that's a good idea. Maybe Penny's Bay, maybe something a little bit remote for transitional housing, but certainly not Kai Tak or Lok Um The idea by Professor Yun to uh, move some of them to make them dormitories or perhaps uh, um, construction temporary offices for the large, cap- ca- large capital works in northern metropolis and perhaps Lantau tomorrow, Now, that, I think, has some legs and uh, it it would be justified from from multiple angles, including the angle of not producing waste. I mean, because most of them
5: are quite low rise, so to speak. And and given the value of land in Hong Kong, we uh, tend to want to shoot for the skies, right?
4: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you say these can be put up quickly, I mean, then sh- why not just take them down? And if we have another crisis, we, p- we put up um, new facilities again
6: quickly in future. Yes, exactly. I, I don't disagree with that. I'm 100% with you.
4: So in that case, most of them could go? They could. Okay. Or, be, or be sold off to other countries. Uh, yes. The, the, and then the land itself can be, can be redeveloped? Yeah, precisely. Yes. Okay. Well, then, um, Do you have any views more broadly on uh, lifting uh, COVID restrict- the remaining COVID restrictions, particularly
6: the isolation requirement? um, how many people are being isolated in Hong Kong right now? It well, is,
4: I, I, I mean, I'm thinking yeah. particularly most people now isolate at home, don't they? I mean, yeah, the
6: yeah. vast majority. Uh, yeah.
4: And until recently, uh, they actually gave you these, I had one of these, these, these wristbands that you have, they turn up at the door, you have to put the wristband on and uh, it makes sure you can't leave for the uh, mm. appropriate period. They, they've stopped that, but there's still the requirement people have to isolate at home. Uh, but they're talking about lifting that um, possibly after New Year.
6: Yeah, I, I can't offer a perspective from a professional capacity, but as a, as a citizen of Hong Kong and looking at what's happening in other countries, and the impact that the lifting of isolation in other countries has had, I don't think there's any real reason. And I think that the announcements that are going to come very soon will reflect that.
5: Do you think we've just gotten used to a higher death rate? We, we still hear, you know, 40, 50 deaths a day and we just kind of go, yeah, well,
6: fine. <laughs> this, uh, um, I'm not very sure about the numbers, but um, um, I think the numbers are quickly becoming comparable to what um, um, the death rate of flu or other respiratory viruses uh, used to have before we ever heard of COVID
4: so we talk about the new normal the new normal is that we just get used to these deaths on a um, on a daily basis is it then
6: I, I don't know. I'm just listening to the same experts that you're listening to. And the same experts are saying that we now have herd immunity. Everybody's had COVID. Most people in Hong Kong have had COVID. And, and probably the reasons for maintaining restrictions are disappearing fast.
5: So within your, your, your sphere, you are a building and construction guy. Um, are there changes in guidelines to how we build buildings, how we do ventilation uh, In you know, as we come out of the COVID phase, the pandemic phase? Mm-hmm. Is there changes in thinkings about how
6: we build Hong Kong? The standards haven't changed. I think that the, the standards were always very good for building commercial buildings and, um, and, uh, and, and residential buildings. I think what we will see now is uh, better enforcement. I think that there's a lot of interest from the, from the buildings department in seeing facilities that are, are better. There's quite a lot of people that are um, looking at how, how to make facilities safer. Um, there's whole divisions in the government that are, that are working on that.
5: And is it particular to say ventilation and hygiene?
6: ventilation and hygiene is a big part of that yes but you know it doesn't it, it doesn't come from the from the from the from the point of um, government or policy or regulation i think the private developers themselves are now selling premium product and one of the selling product one of the selling points is that our site is safe it's got better ventilation less uh, touch points more automated you don't need to touch things so that's that's a selling point for them for the tenants
4: okay thank you very much uh, alex katsanos katsanos uh, managing director for, for advisory for Aracon uh, greater china joining us in our Queensway studio this morning thank you very much for joining backchat uh, and if you have any further thoughts on the uh, covid restrictions uh, do email us at backchat.rthk.hk we can go to our facebook page backchat on rthk radio free moving on uh, the uh, City University, City University, um, running a veterinary program. Uh, they imported cattle from Australia to um, a University Farm. The cattle arrived uh, last September, but um, and as part of that uh, program, I understand uh, City University is uh, hoping uh, to actually be selling um, their own milk and ice ice cream. Starting yes. maybe. Well, the original plan was latest month. Uh, however, there has been some controversy about the import of the these cattle and um, uh, the whole program being run at City U. A number of our animal um, rights groups have written to CityU in protest about it. So joining us to hear both sides of the discussion this morning, we have Professor Vanessa Barrs, who is the Acting Dean of the uh, Jockey Club School College of Veterinary Medicine and Life Sciences at City University of Hong Kong, and uh, Catherine Ma, Catherine Ma uh, one of the key organisers of uh, the uh, petition and the uh, letter that was sent to CityU, and she's Animal Welfare Campaign Manager at Planet for All. Uh, good morning. Let's go to you, Professor Barrs, first. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about this programme.
3: in Hong Kong. It's a six year program and as part of our program uh, veterinarians need to be competent in treating all veterinary species. So when a vet graduates, uh, even if they want to be a dog and cat vet, uh, they need to be competent in uh, treating other animals including uh, horses and cattle and small ruminants like goats and exotic pets as well. And many vets throughout their career will have different experiences with different animals. So um, it's really crucial for our veterinary students that uh, they gain experience with cattle. And uh, as you would know, uh, there hasn't been a dairy farm in Hong Kong now for over 40 years. So we have established a very small uh, dairy farm and, uh, uh, and it has been established according to the highest welfare standards.
4: How about that milk and ice cream that was promised? Is is that online? Is that is that, is that been sold yet? Uh,
3: not yet. So our cows are actually due to give uh, birth uh, over the next few days. Uh, over the Chinese New Year, uh, we are expecting uh, around twenty calves to, to be born. Um, and uh, once uh, they're born, uh, in uh, probably around February and March, we will start um, uh, selling milk and ice cream but I should say that that, that's not the purpose of our farm Uh, the purpose of our farm is to teach veterinary students but rather than waste uh, the, the, the milk, we will use it uh, and, and sell
5: a small quantity of it. Yeah, a lot of the PR lately has been focused on the, yay, fresh milk and ice cream. But, I mean, <laughs> but if you're going to be a human doctor, you get a cadaver at the beginning of one of your semesters and you crack the rib cage open and you peel back the layers of muscle week after week. Presumably, you're going to be doing the same thing with some of these cows uh, as part of the student learning process.
3: Uh, we won't be doing those kind of dissections on, on any of those cows unless they uh, die from disease or, or a euthanase. So um, that's, that's not part of the uh, student experience. So our students will be focused on learning about um, uh, how cattle are raised um, and the types of diseases they get. I could give you an example, so um, in the UK in 2001 there was an outbreak of foot and mouth disease, uh, viral disease that ultimately resulted in over six million cattle and sheep uh, being culled Um, and you know as part of our training program uh, we will be teaching our students how to detect signs of foot and mouth disease and, and, and how to respond to
4: really important outbreaks of disease like that. Okay, now also joining us is uh, Catherine Ma, Animal Welfare Campaign Manager at Planet for All, who wrote to Professor Bars with um, a, uh, a, a lo- large number of concerns about uh, this CDU this project. Uh, good morning, uh, Miss Ma. Perhaps you could just... I mean, there, there are too many to go through all of them this morning, but perhaps you could summarise the, uh, the, the, the main concerns you have, and then we'll put those uh, to Professor Bars. Yes, uh, good
7: morning to both. Um, this is a very good opportunity to really uh, ask a question to uh, Professor Bars. Uh, our main concern is um, in the past uh, communication with uh, Professor Bars, uh, we also, uh, we already mentioned uh, the suggestions and also the questions uh, of how to minimize the pain and distress brought by artificial insemination and also the treatment of the bearing cows because uh, Professor Bars uh mentioned that barren cows will be flooded or euthanized in a human way. But to us, the main concern is that re- repeated artificial breeding does even more harm because the weak cows will be killed, um, and either when they're unable to produce milk or when the farm is filled to the capacity. So uh, this means that uh, the cows, um, they produce the dairy products to us and also to help the college to train the students to become future pets. But in a few years, they are going to be killed. Uh, is that the, the way the farm is going to be? And also, uh, we want to emphasize that there shouldn't be um, uh, any any separation between the, the young and also the mothers uh, as soon as they're born because they, this also causes a lot of... Um, Suffering to to the cows, and we know that in the farm there is um, enough space and also enough uh, management to to arrange this. So uh, we wonder if this could be
3: done. Thank oh, you,
4: Professor Barnes. Okay, yep, they're,
3: they're great questions, and uh, let me go through them one by one. So uh, the reality is that artificial insemination is uh, a safe and very humane procedure um, and it's practiced throughout the world, um, throughout the world in in all dairy uh, farms. So it's really important that we teach our students um, about that practice and also about how to troubleshoot any um, problems that, that might arise from it. We care about cattle welfare and cattle health. So in many ways uh, I think that we are on the same side um, and one of the the tenets of our whole program is to promote uh, cattle health and cattle welfare, indeed to promote the health and welfare of all animals. So um, when it comes to artificial insemination, well, um, what would be the alternative? The alternative would be to have a 700 kilogram. Uh, Jersey bull uh, in the dairy, and uh, that that just um, is not a sustainable practice. It's also very dangerous. So AI is actually uh, very, a very humane procedure. It's only uh, uh, performed when cows are in estrus, so that means when they are receptive to a bull, and rather than having a 700-kilo bull mounting a cow multiple times, uh, potentially injuring that cow with their hooves, which is actually quite common, uh, we insert a, a, a small straw of semen into the into the vagina and, and near the cervix. So Sorry, so a,
4: you, you seem to be saying nature nature is unsafe, so it's <laughs> yeah, safer to d- do things artificially. Uh, of course, um, a, 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 a nature, thinking, nature can be
3: quite brutal, but I think um, that uh, you know we need to look at the, the reality here of what happens with dairy production in the whole world and there are 270 million dairy cows worldwide and you you need to ask yourself do you drink milk, Um, do you eat cheese, do you eat ice cream. Um, The reality is that all of these cows they need to be in conditions of optimal health and welfare. So
4: how about uh, how about uh, Catherine Mar's other points about euthanizing? The, uh, you are going to you, you are essentially going to kill them when they're no longer of use for you, isn't it? I mean that's the reality. Well,
3: that that is the the reality, of course. Yes, I mean, uh, but um, you know, I, I think this is what happens in a dairy farm: uh, is that you know um, cattle are kept on a dairy farm uh, to produce milk. Um, and uh, that's what will happen on, on our dairy farm as well. Um, however, we also um, will have some situations where uh, we will endeavour to keep cattle for longer than they would be kept for on commercial premises. So, for example, um, if a cow got mastitis and were to lose a quarter, so cows have got another, they've got four teeth, and uh, in order to be commercially viable, they need to have uh, milk coming from those four teeth. If, for example, a cow uh, lost a quarter from mastitis, this is really common in uh, commercial dairy herds. Um, we would potentially take that cow off-site to a, a premises where we will be raising some uh, calves, and um, and and she could, uh, you know. Um, uh, the calves could feed from her. So, you know, we, we, we care about animal health and welfare Let... and uh, where we can, Let... uh, we will... Sorry to...
4: Yeah, then Catherine Ma, would you like to respond?
3: Yeah, yeah sorry to interrupt, but
7: uh, we have to uh, say that having established to establish the established the only veterinary college in Hong Kong, CPU okay. should have committed to the mission to protect the animals, right? But now you are justifying this exploitation of the cows on the basis of veterinary training, which is very absurd to us and very misleading to the public as well. You, you said that there are a huge number of uh, cows uh, in dairy farm around the world that are suffering, but this doesn't justify that what you are doing in the dairy farm is correct because all the cows, they are having the same problems. They are facing the same problems every day. They are facing, um, uh, the discomfort that caused by the insemination, and also the distress caused by the separation from the, the little cows and also, uh, to captive them, uh, it them in this, uh, confined area. It also caused fears and also to, uh, to prohibit them to express their nature behavior. So I wonder how humane the farm is.
5: How, how uh, Do you object to the idea of using cows to train veterinary students who can then go on to heal animals? I mean, is, it, is it, do you just object to using them at all for veterinary studies?
7: Our principle is the cows uh, should be born to roam free on pastures and not to imprison in farms as milking machines for human interest. We know that city, you, you already have the, the cows in Hong Kong. Um, at this moment so uh, what we are asking is how to improve the welfare and this is also a very good way to educate the the public about how good a real farm could be a farm that is really uh, promoting the harmony uh, among nature animals and humans at this is also we know that this is also one of the goals of City University
4: Okay, uh, we're almost out of time, but let's give Professor uh, Professor Bars a, a chance to respond.
3: Yeah, thank you. Well, I, you know, our cows are, are happy, they're healthy. Anybody who's been to our farm would see how loved our cattle are. Um, our cows exhibit normal behaviour. They've got uh, multiple opportunities for social enrichment. We have uh, these Fantastic cattle brushes that turn on when the cows rub against them, um, and the cows are free to exhibit their normal behaviour. They're group housed. They're much loved by all of our staff and by all of the veterinary students. And we're really confident that we offer the best possible uh, conditions of welfare at our farm. And we're also very uh, positive about the impact that we will make, not only here in Hong Kong, but almost um, certainly in mainland China and in the whole of Asia, and also globally uh, to improve cattle health and welfare. So we're we're really happy about our farm, and we know that uh, we are providing the best possible opportunities for our students to contribute to One Health. One Health is where we optimize human health and the health of animals And the health of the planet so So, that we can live together in harmony
5: very quickly are they are they free range or are they kept are they free range are they kept in a pen or kept in a building i'm not clear
3: so so obviously there's there's very little land uh here in hong kong Mm. for uh pasture grazing so this is a an intensive farming uh situation very similar to uh, what you'll see all through Asia and also in places like Germany. So our cows are group housed in, in a barn uh, where they can exhibit their normal behaviours.
4: OK, just very quickly, Catherine Ma, you want to yeah. say something? Just very quickly. Thank
7: you. So very unfortunately, the cows will be killed in a few years' time. So do you think this is a, a very human way and this is what uh, something happy for, for the public and also the students who raise them to see?
4: Okay, uh, would you like to respond very quickly, uh, Professor Bass?
3: Uh Yeah, sure. So, uh, I mean, our, our cows will only be uh, uh, euthanized or enter the uh, human uh, food chain slaughterhouse uh, if uh, they are no longer able to produce uh, any milk. Uh, but, you know, we're not operating at the, the standard of a uh, commercial uh, milking farm and we, we will do what we can to prolong... Uh, the lives of our cows so that they have the the best possible life uh, here at our dairy farm.
4: Okay. I'm sorry. We we have to draw draw you close to the, the discussion there. Um, thank you. Okay. Thank you very much to uh, uh, Professor Bars, Professor Bars, uh, the acting dean of the uh, Jockey Club College of Veterinary Medicine and Life Sciences at City University of Hong Kong, and Catherine Ma, uh, animal welfare campaign manager. Of Planet for All has raised a number of concerns about uh, uh, the uh, the new the new the new dairy farm at uh, City University. A very interesting debate there. Uh, that's it for today. Um, we're we'll back tomorrow. Uh, Andrew will be in the hot seat tomorrow, and I'll All be right. supporting him. So join us again for our back chat tomorrow. In the meantime, uh, the weather forecast is going to be fine, dry during the day. It was rather cool in the morning, but the temperature is going to start climbing until it reaches 19 degrees. Currently, 15 degrees, relative humidity 72%. See you tomorrow.
6: Remember when the MTR services were suspended because a sky lantern hit the tracks? Sky lanterns can be hazardous because we have no control over where they might go. They can cause fires